Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you again. Um, I'm Tyler. I'll be with you uh, today and the next three, I believe. No, two weeks, just two more weeks after this one. And I've been uh, so grateful for the opportunity to, to be with you in worship. Uh, thanks to Sean and Emily. That was a wonderful time of, uh, of worship together. So uh, thank you for that. Well, let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, would you prepare our hearts for your word? We resist it often. Sometimes we don't like what it says. But Lord, sometimes we read it and it's just so full of incredible, joyous thoughts. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us to accept the entire word from start to finish. For the glory and praise of your name, I ask this. In Christ's name, amen. If uh, you pull out a pew Bible or one of the Bibles that are near you, if you could turn to page 242, that's where we'll be today. Uh, we're in Joshua chapter 3. We're actually doing, it's a pretty big swath of text. We're going from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 4 and finishing that chapter as well. So bear with me as we do that. I want you to uh, pay attention to the first verse we're going to read. It's chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. That's the first uh, verse we're going to re read, and then we're going to go from there. Chapter 3, verse 5. Again, that's page 242 in your, in your pew Bible. I always like it when we open the Word together. You want to make sure that what someone is saying up here is from the Word of God, and not just my opinion, not just the speaker's opinion, but from His Word. Again, chapter 3, verse 5. This is what it says. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, prepare yourselves, for tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. So let me just recap the context of what's going on here. Uh, if you remember my map, I know I'm, I don't know my east and west very well, so bear with me as I show you my back. On this side, on this side, Israel's on the east side of the Jordan River. They're, they're here. They're planted here. And there's this Jordan River right here. And the Jordan River is between them and the west side of the Jordan River, and that west side is the promised land, the land that God promised those people. And so there's obviously an obstacle in, a, in the way. This river, how are we going to get past this river? How are we going to do this? And just before they're about to tackle this, this problem, this is what Joshua says to the people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And that brings me to a question. It's an interesting, maybe even a philosophical question, but here we go. Here's what it is. Why does God do amazing things? You know, why does he perform miracles in the first place? He's infinite. He's got infinite glory. He's fully satisfied in who he is. He's, he's got it covered. What more could he do for his own glory? What more could he do? What would cause God to go down to earth and cause a miracle to happen? It's very interesting. What does God desire. In other words, why does God work? And that's the title of the sermon. Why does God move? Why does he work? Well, I don't want to give you my opinion. I want to show you what it is from the text. Because we do believe as Christians, if you're a believer in here, we do believe in a God who works, who does miracles. There was a there was an idea of God that was very popular for a lot of for many many years. It was called deism. And deism is the idea that God created he created creation. He's created all this, but he basically hasn't done anything since then. 
and the universe has just like a series of dominoes just played out since that moment of creation. That's deism. God doesn't interfere with human events. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't do miracles. He creates, and that's about it. That's not the God that we worship. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible works in history, works in our lives, even performs miracles. Some people think that God performs miracles almost every moment of every single day, right? Like some people will say, oh, God really did something special and miraculous. I heard a, a, a bird chirping outside my window, right? And that's, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with that. That is God's sovereignty. It is his goodness playing out there, but not necessarily God doing a special miracle. But there's another ca camp that says basically that God hardly ever does miracles. In fact, the, the only miracles that we know for sure that God has done are the miracles that we see in Scripture. Besides that, no miracles actually happen. But I think that's far too restrictive. God is still at work and has, still has power to do miracles today and can work miracles in whatever situation you find yourself in today as well. The question is, why? Why would he do these miracles? What could possibly motivate the almighty, eternal God, to do a miracle. Why would God tell Joshua to tell the people to consecrate themselves for tomorrow he will do amazing things? Let's find out. Let's find out. Why does God work? Now, the first thing that we're going to see, it's actually quite surprising. The first reason that God might choose to do a miracle is this. He does it in order to exalt you. That's great. That's great news. He's going to, he may even do a miracle in order to exalt you. Take a look at what it says. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Verse 6, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Now let me just clarify that for a second. They, they were just talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And I mentioned that the last time we were here, but let me clarify that again. The Ark of the Covenant is this ornate, beautifully decorated gold box that is meant to localize and represent God's presence among the people. It's holy. It's holy. And God has chosen this artifact, this thing, to localize his glory among those people. So that's what they're talking about there. Take up the Ark, verse 6, take up the Ark of the Covenant, this box, and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. God tells Joshua, I'm about to do this incredible thing, and I'm doing it in order to exalt you. I'm doing it for your good. And that's a very, I know for many of us, we hear that and we think, well, that just doesn't seem right. Because we come to church and our purpose is to come and praise and exalt God. It's this one-way street. We come and praise and exalt God. We lift him up. But it seems in this passage that God says, I'm doing this work in order to exalt you. But that's not the end of the story, is it? He does this work in order to exalt him, but ultimately it's for his own glory. Take a look. It says in verse 7, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So the ultimate end game here is for God to do this miracle, perform this miracle, to exalt Joshua 
so that the people around Joshua and the nations will know that God is with him. That's still true even today. When God's been good to you, when God does perform a miracle in your life, whether it's freedom from addiction or freedom from, a, from sickness or freedom from whatever it might be, when God does do a miracle, when God does bless you, partly it's to exalt you. And ultimately, it is for his glory. And I love this. I love this about God. I love this about the true and one God. God could glorify himself in any way he chooses. He could. God, if he was an evil God, could glorify himself by, let's say, enslaving all humanity. He could. It would be a different kind of honor and glory that he'd get, but he could do that if he was an evil God. But he's not. He's good. And he chooses, if you can use the word chooses for God, but he chooses to glorify himself by being good to his people. That's incredible. I mean, can you believe that that's the God we worship? He chooses to glorify and exalt himself by being good to each and every one of us. That's a miracle in itself. Praise God for that. That's one of the reasons why he does this miracle. Not just so that we're exalted, but so ultimately we will take that and glorify his name. God's goodness in your life are actually moments of God's glory in your life. God's goodness in your life are actually moments of God's glory. So here's what we got to do. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. God's been good to you. You can waste that on your own glory. You can. You can waste the gifts God's given you for your own glory. You can waste the talents. You can waste the money. You can waste whatever it is that he's done for you. You can waste that on yourself. I deserve this. Yep, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty awesome. Things are going pretty well for me. I've got some pretty great, great skills, and look at all the money I've accumulated. I'm pretty wonderful. You're wasting God's glory. God's goodness in your life are actually moments of God's glory. Don't waste it. That's why he does miracles. That's why he may choose to do miracles, so that you will take that and exalt his name. That's the first reason. We're going to see the next reason in the, in the, in the next uh, passage here. Let's continue on at verse 8. Verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hevites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the disciples of Israel, or from the tribes of Israel, sorry, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So God tells them, all right, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take the ark of the covenant to the waters, to that Jordan River, and the waters are going to separate up into a heap. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. 
while the fl water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had, completely, uh, had completed the crossing on dry ground. So the miracle is completed. They go to the river. It separates, and it separates insofar as the ground is completely dry, and they stand on dry ground. It's like, it's like uh, if you remember that time in Exodus when Moses stretched out his hand over the water, and it separated. It's kind of the same idea. They're there, and they're in the middle of the river. Now, why does God choose to perform this miracle? Now, you might be in a small group, and, and when you talk about things like this, you might come up with all sorts of speculation. I think he does it for this reason. I think he, God does it for this reason. What we've got to learn to do when we're reading our Bibles is let the Bible interpret itself. Let the Bible tell you what it's talking about. And it tells us. Go back into verse, uh, verse 10 there. This is why God does this. In verse 10, it tells us. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the nations that are in the promised land. It tells us, I'm about to do this miracle to show you that the promise that I gave to you will come to pass. That's why he's doing it. He's showing you, I am powerful to do this miracle. I'm powerful to make this happen. And so I am powerful to do the promise that I gave you. In other words, God does miracles in order to ensure his promise. That's part of the reason why he does it. So that we know that his promises will come to pass. Incredible. Incredible thing. And he does this. Why, why does he need to do this? Well, he knows you and me. He knows that we doubt his promises. We do. We have a hard time. You know, sometimes we start thinking about it and start rationalizing. And we start thinking, man, is that, come on, is that really going to, you know, am I really going to get a heavenly body? Is that? Is that really going to happen? It's, it's all the evil in this universe, in our world, in our lives. Is that really, can that really be for a greater good? Can God really look all the more glorious because of the evil that happens in this world? Is that, how is that possible? How is God going to redeem that? I mean, you're with me, right? You, you look at these promises and you think, I, having a hard time. And God knows that. God knows that we have those struggles. And that's why God ensures his promises, ensures them by showing us his power in miracles in the past. We got to look back and we got to see things like creation itself. We've got to be uh, marveled by the fact that anything at all exists. Why? Because of creation. And God did it. We've got to marvel at moments like the Exodus where the, where, the, where the waters separated and God delivered his people through there. We've got to marvel at the resurrection, which is, which is a moment, an anchor point in history. And we've got to look back at those th things and say, God was powerful to do it in the past. And he's powerful to do what he says in the future as well. You want confidence for your future? Look with confidence at what God's done in the past. That's why God does miracles, to ensure his promises. That's what it says. The text says that right there. Let the Bible interpret itself. There's also an interesting wording that comes out in verse, uh, in verse where is it? Verse uh, 15, I believe. It says in verse 15, 
now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. So the Bible here is going out of its way to tell us that this river is at a time of flooding. In other words, there is no naturalistic explanation for why Israel was able to go through this river. And I mention that because uh, if you've seen some movies or if you've read some articles about, say, the Exodus, I, I know I watched the movie Exodus, Gods and Kings, and when it comes to the time where they have to cross the Red Sea, all that happens is, well, the tide was low, and there was a wind, and they just walked through. And that's, to me, they're interpreting the Old Testament to say that really God didn't split the sea miraculously. The, the sea was just low, and they just walked through. Now, that's a liberal interpretation of the Bible. Does the Bible endorse that interpretation? Absolutely not. And we, don't, and we see that in this text as well. It's not simply that the Jordan River happened to be low at this time. God performed a miracle because it was at flood stage and the waters heaped up at both sides. He does this miracle in order to show that he has power and he's powerful to do it. And as he's powerful to do that in the past, he's powerful to do what he does in the future as well. Incredible thing. Incredible thing. All right, that's two reasons. We've looked that God does miracles in order to exalt his people for his glory. We've seen that he does miracles in order to ensure his promises. The next thing that we're going to see is God does miracles in order to instill his legacy. To instill his legacy. Take a look. We're going to go from uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 9. All the way. A lot of reading. I'm sorry, but here we go. Verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. Israel is split up into several tribes, so they wanted one to represent each. Verse 3, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest is standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you, is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. God chooses to do this miracle. And then he instructs them to set up this type of memorial. So that they can tell this story of God's miraculous power to the next generation. In other words, God does miracles in order to instill his legacy. In order for us to be able to tell ourselves and the people around us, this is our God. He is strong, he is powerful, and he is, as we have sung, mighty to save. He is good, he is good, and he has power. And he does these miracles in order for us to understand them. He 
is good and powerful. And I want to tell you that the reason why God has done these miracles is so that we will be able to tell other people that. And I want to ask you this question. In this passage, who's the priority? Who's the evangelistic target of this memorial? Who's the number one priority for evangelization in this passage? Their children. Their children. What do you make of that? Your neighbors are a, uh, a high priority. Your small group's a high priority. Yep. All of those are, yes, absolutely, absolutely. These are a memorial for your kids. Some of you don't have kids. Some of you might have kids in the future. And some of you might be feeling guilty about this. I don't, I don't mean to do that. But this is what the text is telling us. This memorial is here so that you will be able to tell, tell your kids. Tell your kids. They need to know. They need to know that they are sinners. Will that mess up their self-esteem? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a child psychologist. I don't know those things. But they need to know that they're sinners. They need to know that they're loved by Christ who died for them. Christ who conquered death. They need to know. They need to know that he is in control and that he loves them. The kids need to know. So tell them. Tell them. Don't leave it up to, I, I bet the, I, I, don't, I don't know, but I bet the, the uh, children's ministry and the youth ministry here is fantastic. Don't leave it up to them. It's not their ultimate responsibility for you to tell your kids about Christ. They get exposure to them maybe a few hours a week, I don't know. You do every day. Tell your kids. Tell them. Tell them that they're loved and that they need a savior because they're sinners. They need that. He does this in order to instill his legacy. He, he does this miracle to instill his legacy. And I've heard many times, even in Christian circles, that really what you should be doing on this earth is ensuring that you leave behind a legacy for yourself. Work on your legacy. I, I hear this in men's ministry. You gotta have a great legacy. You gotta be a good person and do all these great things so that you have a legacy to leave behind. I got to tell you, that's not going to work. You can go to museums where the remains of a famous person is sitting right there. And the person who's in charge of directing people, the tour guide, won't even know who that person is. Not much of a legacy for that person to leave behind. If even the tour guide it's himself or herself can't even point you to it. And if you are a really good person on this earth, if you're really good, if you're a really awesome person and you do a lot of great things, the memory of you might last a generation. It's not worth it for your own legacy. It's not worth it. Your legacy is not going to last. My legacy is not going to last. It's not going to last very long. How many people do you know, how many legacies do you know from people who've lived over 100 years ago? Maybe a dozen of the billions of people who've lived. It's not worth it to go after your own legacy. There's only one legacy that survives. There's only one legacy that is worth our lives, and that's the legacy of Christ. That is the legacy of God. That is the legacy of our God. Don't waste your time going after your own legacy. It's not going to be worth it. You're even going to admit it's not worth it. The only thing that was worth it is the legacy of Christ. Don't worry so much about your legacy or what you're leaving behind or what nice things people say to you at your funeral. You're not going to be there. 
live for the legacy of Christ. He does these miracles in order to instill his legacy. Finally, we're going to see in this, next, in this next point, we're going to see that God does these miracles in order to do this, in order to anoint his chosen, in order to anoint his chosen. Take a look. We're going to start at verse 10, and we're going to continue from there. Verse 10. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. Verse 14, that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. God does this miracle in order to point to Joshua and say, he's the guy. He's the leader. I've done this miracle to show you who I endorse, who I have anointed to lead. And it is this man, Joshua. That's why he does it. He shows us this. He exalts Joshua in order to show him that he is the leader. And we see that the Israelites actually respond to his leadership. You'll see that if you go back to uh, verse, uh, verse 10. The priests, it says, Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. In other words, the people were responding to Joshua's commands in the same way that Joshua had submitted to the authority of Moses. In other words, the authority that Moses once had is now Joshua's. Joshua has now gotten that authority based on the miracle that God had done. Verse 12, it says pretty much the same thing. It says, The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. Just as, it was, just as if it was Moses himself directing them, Joshua was now directing them to their end, to their, to their goal. God does this miracle to point to him. Now, this is a special miracle. This is a special endorsement, a special anointing. It's for Joshua. It's for people like Joshua, like Moses, where, you know, uh, God showed up to Moses in a burning bush. To people like Paul, who wrote scripture, and God showed up to him on the road to Damascus. God does these special miracles. But for everyone in here who's a believer... The same kind of special miracle has happened to you. It may not be for the leadership of the entire nation of believers, but he has done a special miracle in order to point to you as his chosen. That special miracle is the miracle of faith. The miracle of faith. You believe in Christ ultimately, ultimately, because God has given it to you to believe. You have a miracle going on in you right now. The miracle is that God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwells within you. And that is the seal. That is, the, that is God saying to you, I have chosen you. You're mine. God does a miracle in order to point to his chosen. And the miracle for us is the Holy Spirit indwelling us, giving us faith, giving us the gift of faith. Who in here is just really smart? And figured out that Jesus rose from the dead for the, for, for the salvation of their sins. Or for the forgiveness of their sins. How many of us is just like really smart? Oh yeah. You just really, you just figured it out, didn't you? No. 
if you have genuine faith in here, it's because God gave it to you. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And God has chosen you based on that miracle. That's why he does miracles, to point out his chosen. Now, you'll notice that when Joshua is, when God does this uh, miracle on behalf of Joshua, Joshua only is given enough, as much authority as his predecessor, Moses. And the same thing with King David and Elijah and Elisha. They're just given as much authority as their predecessor. But there's only one man that God did a miracle for on behalf of. Not just to fill the shoes of his predecessor, but to fill the shoes of God himself. And that person is Jesus Christ. God performed miracle after miracle to point to him, to point to Christ and say, he is the Savior. He is your Lord. He's the guy. When Jesus was baptized, God spoke and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. It was a miracle. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You'll remember, uh, if you look into the New Testament, if you don't know this, then you can look it up. But there's the transfiguration, where again, God speaks and says, listen to my son, listen to Christ, and Christ's glory shows up. And again, when Jesus died and was buried and rose again, again, God said of Christ, of the son, this is the Savior. Follow him. And you'll see in this passage that the men were so ready, so eager to go to war on behalf of the word of Joshua. How much more are we ready to live, to obey, and to even die for the one who is Christ, the one who is our Savior, the one who is God himself? That's why God did those miracles, to show us his anointing. When Christ rose from the dead, he showed us that he is the one we are to follow with our lives. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. That's why God does them. He does them in order to exalt even you so that you can share his glory with the people around you. He does them in order that we, ensure, uh, that we are insured of his promises, that we trust him, that we continue to trust him. He does it in order that his legacy will be instilled among us. And also so that he can point out, point to those people who he, he has chosen. That's why he does them. That's what the scripture tells us this morning. It's an incredible thing. Why would God, why would God, infinite, beautiful, glorious, satisfied, all by himself, all in himself, why would he do this? Why would he work miracles? Well, the passage is actually going to summarize this for us. I'm going to continue until the end of the chapter, and I'm going to close there. We're going from verse uh, 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests to come out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what did these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did 
uh, the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before, before us until we had crossed over. And verse 24 summarizes this morning's teaching perfectly. Verse 24. He did this so that, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord. Have faith in the Lord. Obey the Lord and love him. That's why he does miracles. That's why he acts in history even today, so that we will love him and obey him and follow him. We're about to take part in another memorial in the Lord's Supper. And many of us have many reasons why we might not want to partake. It might be sin. It might be an argument you had this morning. It could be many other reasons. But if you call yourself a believer, if you have placed your faith in Christ and you've repented of your sin, saying, Lord, take me, I'm yours, then this morning, please participate. If you have not, if you've not given your life to Christ, let the uh, plates go by. But if you have, let this serve as a memorial of Christ's incredible life, death, and resurrection. Let me close in prayer. Lord, you're a miracle worker. And though, Lord, you need nothing, you're in want of nothing, you do all of this, all of these incredible acts in history and in this passage that we've just read and in our lives. You've done all of these wonderful acts, ultimately for our sake and for your glory. And Lord, we praise you so much that those two things are connected. It's not one or the other, it's both. For your glory, you've done this for us. Incredible. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you and thank you and thank you. Lord, be with us now as we partake in the bread and the cup. In Christ's name, amen.